Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, reading there in the 16th chapter, beginning at the 16th verse. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I hope you rested well last night, and I hope that you are happy to be here in God's house to worship him at this time. Today, as you know, is the tenth Sunday after Trinity, and this text that I just read, it tells the story of what happened to Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. You remember Paul was on his second missionary journey and he and his party came to the ancient city of Troy and Asia Minor and it was there that he had the Macedonian call to come over to Macedonia. And then it was, there were four in the group, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. Now they set sail, they crossed the Aegean Sea and they went up into Macedonia in the continent of Europe and they came to the city of Philippi which was named after Philip of Macedon who was the father of Alexander the Great and this city was a Roman colony. There were very few Jews there. And therefore we are told in this incident that on this day Paul and his group, they were going to a prayer meeting. There was no synagogue and they wanted to meet for prayer with others of the Jews. And on their way to the prayer meeting, they met a young girl, we are told, who was possessed by a fortune-telling demon. That one of the 
angels of Satan had gotten into her and therefore had given her predictions and her masters naturally were making a lot of money with her because she was speaking predictions from this demon. And this went on, we are told, for a number of days and then when she kept on every day looking at Paul and his party and saying, these men are servants of the Most High God and they are preaching the way of salvation, this grieved Paul. He knew that this was meant to try to discredit him and his party in the city of Philippi. And then one day, by the power of God, he turned and he spoke to the demon in this young girl and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. And the demon came out, the devil came out from her body. And of course then her owners realized that their great prophets were gone and so they seized Paul and Silas. Why they didn't take Timothy and Luke we are not told. And they brought them to the marketplace which was the place of courts and judgment. And before the magistrates they accused Paul and Silas of being individuals who were stirring up the people. They were teaching things that Romans couldn't possibly do and carry out. And then a mob gathered as naturally would happen. And the magistrates said strip them down to the waist. And so Paul and Silas were stripped to the waist and then they were beaten they were scourged they were beaten with many blows many a man died when he was beaten like this and then the magistrate commanded the jailer to put them in jail and he said and be sure that they don't escape and so we are told that the jailer put them into the inner dungeon the one place where there was no chance for escape you can imagine what that must have been these men with their backs simply almost broken with blows and flesh gouged out in the inner dungeon with vermin and with all manner of rats we can be sure and then they were put in stocks and what a miserable situation and then we are told that at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God at midnight in their midnight in the things that had happened to them they prayed to God for help and they sang a song they sang a song of praise of thanksgiving to God uh, for their midnights for their adversities for the troubles that had come believe it or not you and I may say do you mean to say that these men with that kind of harsh treatment with their backs just simply torn asunder by the scourging rod and here in the inner dungeon and their feet in the stocks that they sang a song that they praised and thanked God for their adversities for their midnights that had come to them that's what they did may you and I know this that from the word of God Paul and Silas called to you and to me this morning as Christians and in your midnights and in mine in the adversities that have come into your life and come into mine, in those things that come at midnight, Paul and Silas called you and me and say, be sure to pray and ask God for help in these midnights. But then they also say, and be sure to sing a song. Don't forget to sing a song of thanks. Don't forget to thank God for your midnights. And you and I may say, wait a minute. How in the world can you and I ever say to ourselves that in the midnights in your life and mine, in the troubles and the adversities that come, that you and I are going to not only pray to God for help, but we're going to sing a song, we're going to thank Him for these adversities, and we may say, uh, oh, there's no reason to do that. We may say, well, as a Christian, I do the one, and surely we do. We may say, whenever there come midnights in your life and mine, we are quick, aren't we, to pray to God for help. We may say, I'll do that, but as far as singing that song, 
Oh, wait a minute, preacher. I don't think I can sing a song at midnight over the midnights that have come into my life. You mean to thank God for these adversities that have come? We may say, I don't think God is deserving of that kind of a psalm. I don't think that God is worthy of that. I don't think I owe that to God. We may say, what reason in the world would there be for ever not only praying for help but singing the psalm? A song of thanks to God for the troubles in your life and mine. But that's what Paul and Silas did that night in the inner dungeon up in the city of Philippi. And Paul would assure you and me this morning, and so would Silas with his second, would say, listen, do both, not just the one. Endeavor a midnight in your life. Be sure that you not only pray to God for help, but also be sure that you sing a song. Be sure that you thank God because Paul and Silas would assure you and me there's every reason that God is worthy of both, not just of one. God's worthy of a song at midnight in your midnights and mine. God is deserving. We owe it to God. Uh, we ought to do this for God. He is worthy. You may say, is God worthy of a song? We may say, I'm a Christian, and when troubles come and the storm clouds gather, oh, I turn to God and I ask him for help. But if you mean that I'm to sing a song, that I am to thank God for these particular adversities that have come, uh, we may say, oh, I'd like to, and I don't want to be irreverent, but I don't think I owe that to God. But Paul and Silas tells you and me, God's worthy of a song besides a prayer for asking for help, because in the first place they would remind you and me of this, that our God, he is truly a God of all power, of vast power, but he's also, and don't forget this, he is a God of perfect wisdom. You know, when the midnights come in your life and mine, uh, you and I are quick to turn and pray to God for help, aren't we? And we do. And we turn and we pray to God for help because we are mindful of this, that God has all power. And don't oh, we've seen it demonstrated, haven't we? Oh, yes, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows this anywhere. And you and I say, what a great God we have to have brought this universe into existence. And we look up into the starry heavens and we say, look at the galaxies that are there, the millions of stars, and each one a sun larger than the sun that lights our earth, and each one with its solar system, and the men have come back from a trip to the moon, and we barely scratch the surface of God's universe. And we say, well, I know that when the midnights come in my life, when these dark days come and these troubles come, oh, I'm quick to turn to God and God wants us to. Paul and Silas, they prayed. But you know, when the midnight come in your life and mine, sometimes we fail to realize that God not only has vast and unlimited power, but he's a God who has perfect wisdom. You may say, what do you mean by that, preacher? I mean this. Have you ever noticed that in the midnights in your life and in mine that, oh, there are similarities, but there are no two of us that have the same midnights? Have you ever noticed that they are custom-tailored? May I say your midnights, and I don't care what they are and how severe, they are custom-tailored to you. There is nobody in all the world that has the midnights that you have or that I have. They are different. And because they are different, you and I as Christians say, these are custom tailor-made for me. God in his wisdom, knowing my weaknesses, God in his wisdom, knowing again the things of which I have need. He needs, therefore, to knock off some of the rough corners in my life. And therefore, he has custom-made my midnights in my life. 
And then when we remember that, then we're going to say, well, God, he does deserve that I certainly pray to him for help, and we do, because having vast power, you and I know this, that if it's his will, he's got the power to take away from you and me any of the midnights that have come, even if it requires a miracle, just as in this case. Here were Paul and Silas in the inner dungeon, and their feet were in the stocks. What an uncomfortable position. They were chained to the wall, and they prayed to their God for help. And we are told that there was an earthquake, and it came suddenly, and the very foundations of the jail were shaken, and the rocks away, and the chains came out of the wall, and they were free men just like that. God's power isn't limited. And when you and I have that conviction that if it's his will, God can do anything, sure we turn and we pray to him just as again the great earthquake that happened up there in Philippi to Paul and Silas in that dungeon. And then we can also say, and God is also worthy of a song. I've got to sing him a song. I've got to thank him for this. Why? Because since God is a God of perfect wisdom and your midnights and mine are custom tailored, it means that God is refining you and me. He uses the midnights in your life and mine to refine us, to purify us, to make us more what he wants us to be. Just as the refiner, when he goes out and he finds gold nuggets and he puts them in his bucket and he puts a fire under them and he begins to boil this gold and he blows the smoke off. And we are told that he keeps on refining the gold and blowing the smoke until he can see his image in the gold on top. And then he knows it has been refined. God, by means of adversities, God, by means of the tragedies in your life and mine, he refines us, he purifies us, because he is a God of perfect wisdom. He knocks the rough corners off of your life and mine, lest you and I be lost. And oh, this is one thing that Christ doesn't ever want to have happen. Lest you and I might be lost. And when we say to ourselves, do I owe God a song? When there is midnight in my life, oh yes. Paul and Silas, they not only prayed for help, but they sang a song that night. That ought to mean this this morning. We ought to look at ourselves and say, I know that as a Christian I am quick to pray. I turn to the God of all power and I ask him to help and I cry and I know that he can do all things. But we ought to probe and say, when did you sing a song? When did you sing it last in the adversities? Did you and I say, I don't owe that to God? He doesn't deserve that. I can't sing a song. Oh, then if we don't sing a song, then may I say, have we murmured? Have we complained? Have we been bitter? Is that the reaction? If there's no song, well, there's a great danger that you and I may say, God, I don't like the way you treat me. I called on you for power, but I'm not going to sing a song. If there's been no song, do we murmur? There was no song, you know, in the jailer's life when he again came running and he thought the prisoner escaped. He took a sword, ready to take his own life. Why? Because he didn't know God. He didn't know what was going on. I talked to a woman just this last week who's sitting there and sobbing and crying, so I'm going to kill myself. I can't stand it anymore. I'm going to take my own life. Why? There was no song. You see, when there's no song in your life and mine, thanking him for our midnights, there's a great danger that we may take our life and then stand before God with our own blood on our own soul. May I say the joy that you and I may have that I'm not going to take my own life regardless of what comes of this. If you've learned to sing a song, have you and I learned it? You've got your adversities and I've got mine. 
I told you about my sister, and I told you about her husband. Well, again, my sister getting along fairly well, but last Friday, my brother-in-law, her husband, seemingly well, a massive heart attack, in intensive care in the hospital, the phone, he's critical, we're waiting for the phone to ring. You see, we in the parsonage, we have our midnights too. But can you sing? Can you sing, thank God, for midnights? These are the things, why? Because when we can sing a song, well, then we know this, we're not going to murmur. We're not going to complain. Paul and Silas up in Macedonia, up in Europe, in the inner dungeon, their backs beaten within an inch of their own lives. And there they were, they prayed to God, and they sang a song. Think of it at midnight, over their midnight. They were thanking God for the adversities and the, the troubles that came because they, in their experience, they found God worthy of this, of both of these things, not just to call on him in trouble, but also to sing a song. They, they figured they, they deserved to do that for him and that God, again, was one that deserved and they owed it to him. Why? Because Paul and Silas would say, God's worthy. Don't you ever think he doesn't uh, have from you the a real reason that you should give him a song in the midnights in your life because they remind you and me that our God, oh yes, he is truly a God. He has power even over all his enemies, but he's also a God of love. When the midnights come in your life and mind, as Christians, we turn to him, don't we? And we say, God, I know you've got all power even over your enemies. And how about again in driving out this demon? I know there are those when they read a text in the word of God and it tells about somebody being demon-possessed, they say, what is, is this the way to talk about illness? I would have you know that Dr. Luke, who wrote these words, was a doctor. And when he speaks about illness, he speaks about illness. And here he tells us a young lady that was possessed of a demon, that one of the fallen angels had taken possession of her. This is what the Word of God says. I don't understand all about this. But again, the fallen angels, especially seemingly in the time of Christ, when they tried to undo what Jesus was doing, they would take possession of a person's body or of his soul. And again, one of the fallen angels had taken possession of this girl and again, seemingly the power of fortune telling. Whether she could really tell the truth, I don't believe she could. But it was gain for her masters to say, here she'll predict something and it was for money. But again, Paul, in the name of Jesus Christ, he says, I command you to come out of her. And that demon came out. God has all power over his enemies. You and I look out in the world and we say there isn't anything that anybody can do to you and me, but what God has the power. His power is unlimited. He re reigns supreme and he rules over all things. And he's got the power to deliver me. We know that, but we sometimes forget that God is a God of love also when the midnights come. God loves you and me. Oh, he loved, he proved his love in sending his son Jesus Christ into the world, didn't he? When you and I stand at Calvary Cross, God must have loved us because God died for you and me. He bore hell and damnation in your stead and mine. He merited all the righteousness that you and I need for eternal life. God loves you and me in bringing it into your life and mine. We say, God loves me in spite of myself. God yearns for my salvation. God wants me saved. There isn't a human being on the face of the earth that God wants to save any more than he does me. And when you and I can say to ourselves, when again our midnights come, God loves me. He wants me saved. Then we're going to say, I owe it to God, not only to turn to him and to pray a prayer that I want his help, but I, I owe him a song. Oh, you and I will turn and we'll pray for help because we know that if it's his will, there isn't anything that Satan and the damned, or those who are his demons, can ever do against you and me without God's permission. 
God rules supreme. His church still continues, and you and I know that God still has the upper hand. But how about this? Since God is a God of love, we ought to sing a song. We ought to thank and say, Thank God for the adversities, the midnights that have come into my life. They are in evidence of love. Why? Because by means of these things, here is God's grand way to draw you and me closer to Christ. But we may appreciate more and more what it means to be saved. You know, in our lives so often, salvation is a theory. We talk about going to heaven after death. And, but it doesn't mean anything. Uh, when God wants it to mean something, when it becomes our all in all, when God wants heaven to mean the greatest and the ultimate in your life and mine, he lets midnight come, doesn't he, in love. And when Paul and Silas had these midnights, believe you and me, heaven began to glow. And as God knows, heaven never means much to you and me until you see it through a tear. You've got to see it through a tear. Then it's beautiful. Then it's a wonderful thing to know that we shall spend an eternity with our Christ. And when you and I see it through a tear, we have been drawn closer to him. And again, our faith has grown strong that we say, I've got Christ, I'm saved, nothing else matters. Then you can sing a song. Then you and I can sing a song at midnight like Paul and Silas did. And we ought to do it today. We have Holy Communion. I wonder if we couldn't come to Holy Communion this morning with a song in our heart, a song of thanks to God for our adversities. But some of you may say to me, wait a minute, I wish I could. I wish I could come to the altar and receive Holy Communion with a song of thankfulness to God for my infirmities, but you may say, I can't do it because I feel that all the midnights in my life are punishment because of something I've done. You and I may say, I look back, I, we may say, I don't know what it is that I've done in the past, but I must have done some horrible thing because look what's come into my life and God's punishing me. Or we may even look back and say, I did do this which was wrong in the past, and now I know that all of these midnights, they're punishments. Is that the way you feel? Listen, don't you understand communion? When you come to communion, Jesus says, do you think, child, that I am punishing you for something in the past? Here is my body and here is my blood. Here are the two great erasers. My body that I gave in death and my blood that I shed in death for you. And here are these two tremendous erasers that I give you. And I assure you that I, by my body and blood, I erase from your soul all the guilt and all the dirty, stinking things that you've ever done in the past. And then Jesus says to you and me in Holy Communion, Now what were you saying about me uh, punishing you for past sins? I don't see any. I'm looking at your soul now, son or daughter. I don't see a thing. And you mean to tell me that you're still holding on to the past? I remember your sins no more. Rather strange. You say I'm punishing you because of the midnight in your life. For what? I, I don't know them. Oh, what a Christ. He obliterates in his mind. Any dirty, stinking thing in the past for which you and I have asked him for forgiveness? And he says, you mean to tell me that you think that I am punishing you? For what? You, you, must, you must be holding on to something that I've long ago forgotten. I am not punishing you. I am showing my love. I've forgiven you. You are saved. Listen, why don't we come this morning with a, a song? A song for thee. God isn't punishing you and me. He doesn't punish his children who forgives. This is love at its best. Jesus says, I want you to become more like I am. I want you to draw you so close to me that heaven means something. This is what it means. Oh, up there in Philippi in a Roman colony city, very few Jews. And here you had Paul and Silas. And they started out to go to church that morning. Can you imagine them? 
started out to go to church and they ended up in the inner dungeon in the Philippian jail, their bodies beaten with scourges, locked in the stocks. And they prayed to God for help. And they sang a song. Wonderful, tremendous, isn't it? You say, how in the world could they do it? And Paul says, we did it and I want you to do it too. Why? Because if God's worthy, you owe it to God. Why? Because he also reminds us that our God is a God who has instant power available and he's also a God of mercy. Oh, when troubles come, you and I instantly turn to God for help, don't we? Because we know that his power is there. Instantly. Yes, Paul needed it right then and there. And when he wanted to drive out that demon from that little girl, the power was there. And when there was a necessity for a miracle of an earthquake, it was there. You and I say, we don't have to wait. God's power is there. I know it's available. It's right there. All that I need, it is limitless. And it's the greatest power in the world. It's over all his enemies. But here it is right now. I just need to turn to him. And therefore, you and I know this. That when we pray a prayer and we ask him for help, we know this, that even if he doesn't remove the midnights, we know that it was not a matter of power. And that becomes a problem, doesn't it, when, again, the midnights stay. But we also forget at this time when the midnights come in your life and mine and the storm clouds gather, and we say to sing a song, uh, but we forget God is a God of mercy. Oh, do we realize that Jesus says that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities? Christ says, whatever comes to you, it bothers me. I sympathize with you. When you're crying, I'm crying too. When you're sad, I'm sad too. I'm touched. I will. I'm a human being. I was down there on earth for 33 years. I know it's rough. When troubles come to you, don't you think that it isn't my heart that is bleeding too? I'm right with you. I am a God of mercy. When you and I know that God is a God of mercy... Therefore, we say, thanks, God, for the midnights in my life because that's the grandest way God has to teach you and me to be merciful, to be concerned about our fellow men and about their needs. Oh, it's only when the storm clouds come and when you and I have our midnights and we realize just how weak we are, we realize how much help we need from God, and we rely on his mercy that we look out in our world and we say, look at the places where I can be merciful. And when the midnights in your life and mine cause us to be merciful and kind and helpful to our fellow men and our capacities grow in Christ Jesus, uh, God is getting us ready for heaven. Then in our greater capacity as we grow in knowledge and in joy in Christ, that heaven may even be more dear to us. I say that's something to shout about. I say that's something to sing about, don't you? It's something to thank him for. In the inner dungeon, Paul calls, and so does Silas, because this is what they did. Paul says, in the midnight of your life, in the midnights that come, and oh, everything is black. Paul says, don't forget to pray, but don't forget to sing a song. Don't forget your song to thank God. You and I ought to determine then, because God's worthy, we owe it to him. He's got this coming to him. We ought to say this morning, well, I've got plenty on my heart. I've got... A lot of midnights, a lot of troubles. You've got yours, I've got mine. Who doesn't have troubles? We've all got them. But oh, not only to pray to God for help, but to sing a song. We'll have to say, I'm going to sing a song. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to do it with a heart. I may be crying, but I will do it with a heart of joy because God alone knows what the influence of a song of thanks means to others. 
Paul and Silas sang a psalm that night, and the jailer no doubt heard it before he went to sleep, and then here was the earthquake, and the jailer came running in, going to kill himself, and when Paul says, oh, don't do it, we're all here, got down on his knees, and he got a hold of Paul and Silas, and he said, what must I do to be saved, sirs? And Paul was able to say to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Oh, put your trust in him. Repent of your sins. That's included. And again, put your trust in him. And we are told that the jailer took him and he bathed their wounds, what their backs must have looked like with blood packed there. He washed their wounds. And Paul preached the word. And he baptized the jailer and his whole household. The church was growing. Why? The jailer saw something he never saw in his life. And he heard something. And mind you, a song in mind. Who can... Who can estimate what a song at midnight means from you and me? I, I remember a song at midnight. I shall never forget. It was my privilege when I was a student at Capital University to have heard Helen Keller. I know young friends, when I mention Helen Keller, she's of a past generation, and maybe you've never heard of her. I know some of us do know her. Helen Keller was born, you know, without sight, and she was born stone deaf. Can you imagine any handicaps any worse? She could never, couldn't see, she couldn't hear. No sound, no sight. I remember she was on the platform at Memorial Hall and a certain teacher by the name of Miss Sullivan took an interest in her, trying to communicate with a child that couldn't see and couldn't hear a thing. Miss Sullivan went on to say how she started. She realized there was an intelligence there. She put a ball in Helen Keller's hand. And then she would, again, with the touch system in Miss Keller's hand, she would spell out in a touch system B-A-L-L. Can you imagine what that mess must have meant? And then round to spell out, and it finally clicked by the grace of God. Oh, Helen Keller stood before presidents, and again, she became a college graduate. And she stood on Memorial Hall platform, and then Miss Sullivan said, now she's going to speak. Can you imagine what a voice sounds like when you've never heard a human voice, never heard a sound? And I'm telling you, there was a, there was a stillness in the audience. It was quiet, and finally... Helen Keller spoke, and you can imagine, she spoke, Dear friends, nobody laughed. There was no tone, there was no inflection. She had never heard a human voice. It was a monotone. But, oh God, she could talk. Dear friends, and she went on speaking. Then somebody asked, and then Miss Sullivan put it in her hand, What do you consider the greatest loss, sight or hearing? And she said, the greater to her was to look the loss of hearing when you couldn't communicate. Then somebody asked her how she could be so happy. This is the thing I shall never forget. When they asked her how she could be so happy, then she said this, that when the great day comes, when the great day comes, the first person, when her eyes are open, that she would see would be her Lord. And she said, I can sing. Think of it. When my eyes are opened on that great day, the first person that I'll see that I can say, Hello, Jesus. This was a song of Helen Keller. Who knows the influence of a Helen Keller? And I would say this. If you and I would just learn to sing, have you ever sung a song? Well, I know your hearts are heavy. I know we've got members here that are lying with the point of death. I know you've got some going into surgery. It's keeping me busy from one hospital to the other. But have you ever learned, like Paul and Silas, not only do you ask God for help, but have you ever learned to sing? One of the songs we can sing on the glory road, and I, I love it because it William McKinley, the president, you know, who was 
simply killed by an assassin's bullet. He learned to sing a song on his deathbed. Not only did he call to God for help, but he sang a song. It was the hymn that he loved. And it's beautiful. And oh, if we could just sing it on the glory road. It was this hymn, Nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. E'en though it be a cross that raiseth me, still all my song shall be. Nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. Oh, Christians, let's ask him in the day of trouble for help. But, oh, God, don't forget to sing. Sing! Sing a song. God's worthy. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.